Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we're able to meet tonight to study your word and to interact with one another by the power of the Holy Spirit and worship you as well as learn from you. Father, we ask that you would really teach us through Jim tonight. May your Holy Spirit really fill him, guide him in all that he says, and that we would learn what you want us to learn from uh, the book that Daniel has given us. Father, thank you for this time together. And tonight, each of us are pray want to ask you to be with the uh, Jewish people in Israel. Father, be with those who are entering into uh, the tunnels and, the, and Gaza. Lord, we pray that you would give uh, wisdom to them as they go in, that they would be able to find the hostages. Lord, we pray yes. Yes. that you would deliver these yes, hostages, that the, that the Israeli uh, movement in would be able to deliver them to their families. Lord, we thank you that you're in charge and we are looking to you for what you want to do. And we ask for, that you would protect the Jewish people all over our country, that you, especially in New York and in areas where others are trying to uh, rob and kill them, Lord, please protect your chosen people that they might come to know you as their Messiah. And then we, we look forward to you coming and taking us home. Thank you tonight as you teach us through Jim. In Jesus' precious name. We ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweetheart. Tonight, before we start, we are in chapter 4, which is a crucial chapter. It is the last we will see, uh, last we will see of Nebuchadnezzar and the last we will hear from him in this part. It also will help us break Daniel down, and I will do that before we go into chapter 4 of how it's put together. Uh, the other thing I want to do, though, is mention a few things about what's happening in the Middle East now. <clears throat> and uh, if you have other questions to ask, we'll, we'll take a few at the end, or we can take one or two here. But let me just start with say that uh, what you're seeing right now with Gaza, uh, where it all stirred up with uh, Hamas, that is the ancient area of... Uh, that the land of, in the New Testament period, Palestine, in the Old Testament, Cana, and then Israel. And that is where, uh, the, uh, in a sense, those who were opposed to Israel always seemed to settle out in the Gaza Strip. I was telling uh, Neil before we started tonight, Phil and I have been through the Gaza Strip once, it was about 2 in the morning, and it was as difficult then as it is now. They weren't fighting, fortunately. <clears throat> but uh, we, I won't go into how that happened, but we were going to Beersheba, but about 2 in the morning, we zinged right straight through the middle of Gaza. And we were all being very quiet and wanted to get out altogether. The problem you're seeing right now in the Middle East is, one, it's, there has never been a clear picture of Satan's work. Absolutely. If you go into the Old Testament again and again, you see it in uh, Daniel is <clears throat> told uh, 
by uh, the uh, Lord in chapter 10 that he's asking, he, he's frightened, he's had a vision, and God says, now I want to tell you what's going to happen to your people. I know that's what you want to know. Then again, when we, we will come, we'll deal with 10, but we will spend more time in 9. Daniel is praying about what will happen to Israel. The people that God promised through Father Abraham, land, seed, and blessing. And that promise, our covenant, barit, as you say in Hebrew, that covenant between God and Israel, it covers land, seed, and blessing. And it is literal, land, it is unconditional, and it is eternal. And we will touch on that a bit as we go on in Daniel. The other thing, though, to know about that, that is really what the fight is about. If you want to read about the battle, you can read Ezekiel 28. You read about Satan. But also, if you go to the Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, you really get into the battle. And why that is stirring up, you're dealing with a people, the oldest, most ancient people that are still alive are the Hebrews. We have no other group of people. I used to have an argument, uh, a friendly argument, when I was an engineer with a fellow engineer, and we, we carpooled together to our plant, and uh, he was not a believer, and so we talked. We had friendly discussions. And, of course, he'd always try to have an answer, but the one thing he couldn't answer is how the Jews have survived. And that used to, he said, I really don't know what to say about that. Well, they survive because they are God's people according to the flesh. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Uh, Paul talks a lot about being a Jew according to the flesh. They, many of them, of course, have trusted in the Lord into their Mashiach, the Messiah, and uh, go back to the patriarchs. And they are all not only Jews in the flesh, but they are truly spiritually the sons of Abraham. But I want to say to you, Tonight, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are following him as Lord, but if you've trusted him as your favorite sa Savior, that's what really begins this, then you are also of the seed of Abraham spiritually. Now, your homeland, which we may get into here, ultimately will not be the earth, the new heaven and new earth. We'll, it'll be the new heaven, but we'll have access here. And if we have time before we're through this, we will go back and deal with that. I've been dealing with it over to the church in Fredericksburg. So at any rate, we are dealing with, in this chapter, really what God is doing with his people. But this chapter becomes, and this book of Daniel becomes so important because it really tells us quickly what has happened in the past, but more than anything else, from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar, on till our Lord returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Daniel is the start of that period. And that is really what the book of Daniel is about. It is about Israel is not on the they don't own the land, they've been in it, but they have not been in it as a kingdom that is free as they were with the divided kingdom, that they, all of the kings after we have the uh, coming of the, uh, 
end of both Jerusalem, uh, southern Israel, Judah ended in uh, really 586 when the temple was burned. They actually officially ended in uh, 606, they officially, and these were the Babylonians that took over. But they had not been a nation under God and ruled by a king who followed God from the time of the, uh, as it were, the uh, end of the northern kingdom, 722, and then the end of the southern kingdom, which the kingdom was divided at that time, which uh, occurred in 609, and that is with the king Josiah, a great king. Everybody who came after him, they were, that was not really an, an independent kingdom. They all were. They were under the Babylonians. Babylonians go, the Persians come, the Persians go, the Greeks come. The Greeks go, and for a short time, the people of Israel that lived in the land had a sort of independence. This was the time of the Maccabeans, and they were... They were not functioning as a kingdom of God on earth, but they were, in a sense, sort of free. Now, they weren't completely free because there were a couple of people right up the way that were, would take over at any time they wanted. <clears throat> of course, one of them was Rome. Rome is beating up everybody else. And then in 63 B.C., uh, the uh, general Pompey, who wanted to be the first Caesar, he wasn't, he was assassinated before that. But Pompey took Jerusalem and all of Israel and put it under Rome. So they have not been a kingdom that has been under the Lord and gone on, and that will not happen until they, at this time, they accept the king God says is the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is not only God, the Son, but He is also the man. He is a true man. It's human. He is the God-man, and that is when He comes, and we will be there if you've trusted in Him, and <clears throat> we will come back with Him, but He will take over, and that is when Israel will again be a kingdom for a thousand years. After that, there's going to be a flare-up <clears throat> with Satan. He never learns, and that is going to end all of that, and he will then, the Lord Jesus, will take over what God the Father and he have been building all, of the, all along, and that is the new heaven and new earth. I want to say one other thing about that, <clears throat> teaching over in the church at Fredericksburg. Uh, we were pointing out that in the book of Isaiah, which is to me the greatest Old Testament book as to the beauty of the language and also all that it covers. That in that book in chapter 65 verse 17, God says that I am creating or building. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. <clears throat> that same word is used in Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 and God says, Behold, I am creating the interesting thing about this, this is, anybody tell me when uh, we have the uh, work of Isaiah, what, what was his time period? Well, he's an amazing guy. Well, it's, if you just put 700, you're in good, good shape. <clears throat> 700 B.C. 
But Isaiah gets all of this wonderful uh, revelation from God, and he tells him in 65, 17, he says, I am creating, and that verb, the way it's said, it's a participle, a perfect participle in the Hebrew language. It means I am now in the process of creating it. So he's been working on the new heaven and the new earth for a long time. And you can imagine what it's going to be. He's working on it right now. And uh, <clears throat> so we will, that, that's what we will look forward to. What you have in Daniel is, as it were, bringing us basically to the time that is given to the Gentiles, and that is what, that they will be ruling various parts of the earth, and Israel will most of the time be under them. When they're not, they could be defeated at any moment. <clears throat> but that is all going to happen from the time of Nebuchadnezzar, on until Jesus comes back. So that's why Daniel on is so important. It's huge because from the time of Daniel and the Babylonians until Jesus appears in the, in the clouds and every eye sees him and he comes from that time to the, this coming one, that is what Daniel describes and that's what we will be looking at. Now when we come to chapter 4, Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Well, we'll do that another time. Any questions you have before we go on with four? <clears throat> okay, let's get four. is the longest chapter in Daniel. I think we'll get through it tonight. I do not know. But it is the longest chapter in Daniel. We are now in Aramaic and not Hebrew, but we, we will deal with that. And what we have is really the testimony... Uh, or the diary or confessions of a mad king, that is, a mentally twisted king, because Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a mental blowout. And it's going to be one caused by God, because if we reject God firmly, we become mentally unbalanced. I want to promise you that's true. And, you know, you say, well, I know a lot of people who don't know the Lord. They're not mentally unbalanced. Get them in the right situation and you'll find out they are. <clears throat> in my engineering days, I would, you know, we'd try to share Christ. And you occasionally really find people that let you know that they, they were, you know, they were, their mind was not all there. <clears throat> Bright engineers, but, wow, when you get into anything seriously spiritual, it was different. Anyway, we come to chapter 4, and Nebuchadnezzar is on the way. And what we have to know about that is he's on the way to becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, is, this is after he has his mental breakdown in his restoration, isn't it? Well, no, 4 is, he, he's on his way. No, he hadn't had it yet. He's going to have his real mental breakdown when we come to... Uh, the end of four. It's in four where it happened. Right. Yes. Well, I, the, way, the reason why I said that, because the way that I read four is almost like he wrote it. He did. Oh, so, great. So, That's my next word. Yeah, so, you have two people who are writing this. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Right. But Nebuchadnezzar writes four. Four, yeah. But he's describing in there. Right. And, and that's what I mean. The event he describes in there. 
is happens to him, and at that point, he first uh, is because he doesn't trust the Lord. God uh, gave him uh, a mind like he made him a beast, yeah. and he's out. Uh, and we'll, we'll come to that. Now it's recorded here, and I can give you the time on it. The time on it was about 30 years into his reign. Nebuchadnezzar will reign 40 years. He'll reign from 613 down to 570. And he'll reign 43 years. And in that midst, about, we're not sure exactly on this, about into 30 years in his reign, 30 to 35, he has this experience where God strikes him, but he strikes him to loving. And that's what we're praying for Israel right now. We have a lot of friends, friends of many years over there. And we're praying this time, this strike, will strike them to look up and not around or someone else to help them. And so that's what we have. Now, the other thing about this, <clears throat> it's the last thing on Nebuchadnezzar. Next week, we will still be in Babylon, but we're coming to the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar. And it is one of the most fascinating accounts in all of history. And uh, we're going to find out a lot about Babylon. I'll mention a little bit about it now. But <clears throat> it, it really tells you a lot about that city and how it was taken and so forth. Anyway, in chapter 4, we have Nebuchadnezzar from the human standpoint at the very pinnacle of his reign. He's defeated everyone. He's won every battle. And now he has it, and he's finally gotten his kingdom squared away with the right people in the right places. And it starts off to point out the position he holds on earth. Somebody, if you would, I, I'm not going to read all of this because there's a lot of it, so I'll have you read. If you would, read for me one, chapter 4, 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is here is from generation to generation. Okay, he gives us testimony at the front end. Now he's going to tell you how he got there. and So he is writing this after it happens, but he's explaining what happened. Yeah, before. it's a narrative by him. That's exactly right. It's, and he talks about it, and he's going to take you through the process. And uh, the first thing he gets to is to another dream. Because God is not going to let this guy go. And I, I love that because here the emphasis is not only on uh, God's great glory, and it sure shows that, but it's also on his love for the Gentiles. And this, and it doesn't matter what rank they are. I'm sure a lot of uh, street sweepers were brought to the kingdom because of Nebuchadnezzar, but he is going to trust in the Lord, and he is a Gentile king. Now, that would give the Orthodox Jews a lot of uh, heartburn. But this is where God begins to show us from the time of Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon 
on till Christ comes back that though God still loves the Jews and their people, he, he sent the Jews, as he says in the Pentateuch, he sent the Jews to be a flag to the world. And I have a ton of Jewish friends, Phil and I do, and you know, they really start talking about, well, you know, we're really God's chosen. No, we go over to the Pentateuch again, and God tells Moses, he says, tell them that they're not the head, they're the tail of all nations. And, but he's still, and I look at my life and I, I can feel with the Jews many times. I'm not, I'm not certainly not the head. Many times I've been like the tail, like Paul says, Lord, I am, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I feel that way. But at any rate, back with Nebuchadnezzar, the first thing he does is give his testimony. And he knows who his kingdom is, or what his kingdom is whose kingdom is going to basically rule everything God created. That is what he says. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is, uh, kingdom theology is very important because the final form of government for all of this universe and then for the new heaven and new earth will be the kingdom of God. Now, it's going on now. It's in heaven that's why the Lord could say in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Well, it, it, he wouldn't have said that if it wasn't going on. It is going now. Now, we will have it. The kingdom of God is in heaven, and it will be on the earth, and then it will be on the new earth, and it will be a renewed heaven. It's really plural. But that is what God is has done for us and he's letting us know that as Gentiles we are not only included we have a big part and that's why Nebuchadnezzar says what he says so the next thing we find him doing is he is going to give as it were a rundown on how he became part of God's kingdom and at that point he says uh, and he begins to deal with his biggest problem. Nebuchadnezzar was a very bright guy, uh, he, and he was an excellent ruler. He, he knew how to deal with people. When he blew his top, that was not a good thing, but he, he, is, he was not a, a hands-off king. He was a hands-on king. But as time went on, and he knew about God, he, very early, Daniel, chapter 2, he sees the image. He says, you're head of gold. The problem is Nebuchadnezzar yeah, I thought that's probably true. I'm the head of go on that kind of guy. But he began, but then he occasionally God would push him down, humble him. You see, humility is the key to being one who walks and follows and serves with glory of God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is going to fight that. He's eventually going to be a humble guy. But in verse 4 we read, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, Everything's going wonderful for him. But God loves this guy just like he loves you. And you know, you go through life and you say, gee, I wonder why this is happening to me. Well, God is knocking on our door. The Lord Jesus is telling us. And he always is doing that. And uh, we've had a lot of door knocking this year in our family, so we, we know about that. Alice is with us on that too. Well, that was Nebuchadnezzar. But he's, uh, he, he was, though, when it all starts, he's flourishing. And in the midst of this flourishing, he has a dream. And it's not a dream of, 
boy, you're the best thing that ever came, planet Earth, and I'm just so thankful to have you as my king. It's not that. Instead, he said, I had a dream, and it made me fearful, and these fantasies as I, and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. He had a hard time sleeping. He didn't have any... Uh, they didn't have any wonderful, we, we like Benadryl, he, he would have liked some Benadryl. First one was the images that's running around and now he's having a dream that is a group of visions, but he gives the gist of it. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might know, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans or the Kasnim is the way you really say that, and the diviners came in, and uh, when they came in, I related the dream to them, but they could not ma make its interpretation known to me. At least these guys know not to lie. They're not going to try to find out, well, tell us something about it, we'll tell you. They learned it the first time around. Yeah, got that, yeah, you, you don't want to be made, you know, limbed again, you don't want to be in that group. So they, they admit they don't know. And he accepts that. That's what a great ruler does. He says, I, I know this is a weakness. I, I thought I'd ask. And he doesn't, uh, you know, send them all for the, their last roundup. Then it, we read this. But finally in 8, Daniel came in before me. Now, I don't know how many commentaries I have on Daniel a lot. Every one of them seems to decide we need to think about where was Daniel. Well, there are a lot of options on that, and I, I think we could we waste a lot of time. Daniel was basically the uh, second in command of the kingdom. He really was, and he could have been doing many things, but God doesn't tell us he was there. He just tells us he wasn't, and that was a purpose. So the men who dealt with divining and all that. They couldn't tell him. The guy who could tell him wasn't there. But he's going to be there. Finally, Daniel came in before me. His name is Belteshazzar. According to the name of my God. Now, we're going to pick up some things about this guy. He is going to become a believer. That's a big argument, too. I mean, there are people that, yeah, their commentary is pretty good, but then they're just sure Nebuchadnezzar never became a believer. Well, I don't think that's true at all. I hold that he did, but at this point he's not because Bell, Bell was his god, and Bell was one of the chief deities of Babylon, and Belteshazzar is uh, was the uh, name given someone who was a servant of Bell. According to the name of my God, in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. Now I want us to look at that because. Nebuchadnezzar is not yet a believer. But what does he say about Daniel? That the spirit of the holy God is in him. Yeah, that the spirit, the the spirit of the, of God was in him, and he he calls him this, the spirit of the holy gods, plural. And he see he knows these God. There is a God, and he hears many of them, and that they they are spiritual beings, and they had come into Daniel as well as to Belshazzar, his guy. Now Daniel fascinates me at this point, and I, you know, being 
worked many years for a seminary, went to seminary, and teaching in a seminary is an interesting experience because you have some people who really want to learn what God has to say. Well, those who want to, they see something like that and they want to interpret for all the rest of us what it means. And this one has caused a lot of people to decide what the spirit of the holy gods is. And uh, that this was, again, uh, something that shows that Nebuchadnezzar was not a believer. It does that, but I think it also shows he's on his way. And I related the dream to him, that is what Nebuchadnezzar says, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I've seen, along with its interpretation. And then he tells everybody, he says, now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed and I was looking and behold there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. And the tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth and its foliage was beautiful and it was a f and fruit and its fruit abundant and it was good for all and the beast of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt and its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Now, he's seeing something that he's also in uh, one sense experiencing. Now, this tree that he sees is, is something that he hasn't seen, but on the roof of his palace, he has not only a garden, he has a forest. And the animals are in it, and we know we're excavating Babylon, they were all there. But God gives him a huge tree, and that tree, of course, is going to wind up being who? Him. Oh, yeah. Him okay. He's going to be the tree. And he, in a sense, was like the vegetation and the abundance from the things that grew on his roof. But he, uh, he doesn't realize that the tree is him at this point. He said, I was looking in the visions uh, in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descends from heaven. He's describing this holy one. And the question is, what kind of being is this? He's seeing in his dream. It's obviously God gave him this vision. What do you think the holy one an angel. Yeah, an angel. I think you're exactly right. Angel, he's an angel. He is a watcher, and he has this. He uses this term again. These are watching holy beings. This tells us something about angels. It tells us uh, what God uses them for. And uh, of course, tell me. You, you tell me some of the things that angels do quickly. They rescue and they send messages. And okay. They. Or some people sometimes, possibly. Yeah, they, yeah they, they appear in human form. Yeah, they do. Well, hey, angels have all kinds of uses, and I love to talk about that because it's, it's very helpful to understand what God is, is doing by knowing what his angels are doing. Now, these angels are watchers, and I think they're watching Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's the point of one of them. And they descend from heaven. They do it up close. 
And he shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut its branches. This holy watcher, there are many of them, you'll see that term again, plural, but this is one holy watcher that comes down from heaven. He's not only watching, he is communicating. In fact, very strong word in Aramaic, he shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches and strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit and let the beast flee from under it and the birds from the heavens, let them all flee. That was a disturbing dream because I think he's beginning to realize the tree's me. And guess what's going to happen to me? I want to get the axe. And at first I imagine he thought that it was all over. Whether he believed it or not, we don't know. Yet, he gets the rest of the message from the angel. Leave the stump with its root in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And all of a sudden, the tree goes from a thing to a personal pronoun. Did you get that in 15? And let him be drenched with dew. The tree is me. He knows that now. And he says, let him share with the beasts the grass of the earth. Now, I, I love this. Uh, our youngest son uh, is a West Point grad, and then he's an airborne ranger. And uh, he, uh, they train these guys that they drop into these desolate places to eat most anything. And uh, all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar hears that this particular uh, field that it's in uh, he, that he is going to be fed by it as well and it says in, in, in the new grass of the field the word grass doesn't mean nice green grass it means herbs and, and weeds you're going to get to eat weeds and so he's being told this and it goes on to say that also the stump is not going to die but you are going to put a band of iron and bronze around it what do you think that might mean? Chain. Huh? Mouth around the mouth, the chain. Well, it could be. That may be where you, you see the, the thing. What would bronze symbolize? Probably royalty, because it usually are bronze was the first, not like gold, but it was the first common metal that deity wore. And iron would be probably that he has, he's, he's not only royal, he has, uh, he has a mighty force behind him. In other words, he hasn't lost his power or loyalty, even though he's just a stump in the ground. Why wouldn't it be something that would protect him while he's there it, it could, in the grass? It, 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 it to could. me, it looks like uh, a band of iron and bronze around it is to, going to, to hold be it the together. protection and hold him together while he does this. Yeah, I think that's probably true. He is both of these things, but he's using them. <clears throat> because could here... That be, could that also be a representation of a crown, maybe? Well, there are bronze crowns. They found... Uh, it's possible. I think the bronze does speak of royalty and nobility, yes. The iron, I think, always looks at the might. But, yeah, it could be. In fact, uh, <clears throat> at the Dead Sea, scrolls where they found them at Qumran, they unearthed a, another cave 
and actually it was hidden behind a, a wall that had been plastered with ancient plaster. And in there they found a five or six of these bronze crowns, and that's what they were. And so it, it was used for royalty. That is true. At any rate, that's, he is... But if you look at the context, yes. it says, let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Well, it looks like the bronze and the iron would protect him while he is I, I think it sharing does. with the beast in the field. In other words, he'll have protection, he'll yeah. have strength. Yeah. He'll, his royalty will yeah. not go, I think you're right. I think that's a good observation. As he's getting this, um, the question is, where is it going to go from here? And uh, he's, he's gone from a great spread tree to a stump. And then it says, the sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the, de the, the decision is a command from the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestow it on whom, and he bestows it on whom he wishes, and he sets it over the lowest of men. In other words, uh, God rules all men, not only the lowest and the highest. And all of a sudden he's telling Nebuchadnezzar that something is going to happen to him. Are you eliminating verse 16? 16, let, oh, no, I gotta get, thank you. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. No, because I'll pick it up later. And let the beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. Uh, the seven periods, the word time there, the, the word uh, periods that goes with time is years. He'll be seven years in this, and he is going to be uh, have the mind of a beast. And really, the word mind is the word heart. Heart of a beast. Mind is another Aramaic word for mind. Now, what would this mean for this one who's a stump now? He's, he's got the mind of a beast, and uh, he is one that is um, uh, he's going to be there for seven years, and is uh, he his, his, mind, his heart is going to be that of an animal. What would he be saying to him? And this is the beauty of the beast in reverse. Or God something. is teaching him that uh, he, he's not God. He's not the powerful yeah, He's God. teaching him that vital thing yeah. called humility. Yeah. yeah. The Most High is ruler over all things. And we have this again and again in God's Word. And we'll look at First Peter, uh, chapter five, verse seven, when he says, "Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God." See, that's key for all of us. And for him to do what God wants him to do, he has to realize what he is apart from God. And if you do not as it were, trust God and humble yourself unto him, you're going to have the mind of a beast or the heart of a beast. Now, in the Bible, the mind is where you do your thinking. Notice in the New Testament, the cardia in the New Testament. Uh, and the, the word for, for uh, mind here is really the word for heart. Again, it's like the cardia of the Old Testament. What spiritually does our mind do for us? 
ties with the heart. We think about. Yeah, if we think, he says, we, we need to think the thoughts of Christ. The scripture tells us that. Our mind is where we take information in and we decipher it, we divide it, we think about it. What about the cardia, the heart, or the lave in the Old Testament? What you speak is what's in your heart. So, so, what you speak comes from what's in That's your heart. right. Okay, let's further, because you're absolutely right. What you see or say comes from your heart. Decisions. It's decision. That's it. Our heart is where the decision is. And if a person rejects God, eventually their decisions will not be human. They will be beastly. And I think we've seen a little bit of that as happening these past weeks with babies being beheaded, with people being burned alive. That, and a lot of people who have no no uh, iron in this fire at all between Israel and, and Hamas say that that's inhuman and they're right our heart is where we decide what we're going to do our mind is where we gather the information now if we follow Christ like Daniel did even though he knows the Lord is coming he hasn't come yet he, he fulfills what the scripture says. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And that, that mind is, we get this from the writings uh, of Paul, that mind is the mind of God himself. And that is what, if we follow God, we have. But if we don't, the mind uh, will take information and come up with some other decisions and our heart will decide things that are like we're seeing now vicious and so forth and so this is what he's told now this brings us to the um, sort of the end of this this experience he has this in verse 17 this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is commanded uh, is the command of the Holy Ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whom he wishes and sets over it the lowest of men. And we looked at that. And so God's point to him is, first I determined you, your faith in me determines what you see. Your humility determines what you do with it. If you're trusting me, and you're in touch with me. If you're not, you're going to have the mind of a beast, and he finally will be like a beast in your decisions. And that's what he's dreaming about. Now, that's a pretty hard shot. What does he do with it? You mean with the dream? Yeah. Well, he actually asked uh, Daniel to interpret Interpret. Yeah, that's what and, it finally. And he know, he's giving credit to the spirit of the holy God. That's right. And so he's coming along, and he says, "This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen now. Seen have seen now. You, Belshazzar, tell me its interpretation. Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known." make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. He's back to that. 
And so he's given this to Daniel. Now, Daniel is an amazing guy because if you got something like that from a king who ran the world, basically, and he says, what is this? What is the message of this dream? What would be the fleshly or the uh, non-contact with God decision in the heart about what we tell him? You may not want to hurt his feelings. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want to hurt his feelings. You want to say, oh, king, let me tell you, it's really great for you. It's going to be a great day and uh, everything. And, boy, we really like it. And, and then he immediately, once the court breaks up, he goes up and packs up and gets out of battle. And the guys that told him this. But uh, that is what he's told them. Yeah, but Daniel is not that way. Daniel, he knows he can trust Daniel. And that is the way we need to be with one another. In love, we need to be able to tell people the truth graciously but tenaciously. And Daniel does this. Then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. And I love that about it. Why did it upset him? He, he, the king. he really loves the king. Yeah, he really does love the king. He, he, he preached it. I was thinking about this uh, every time I come to this passage uh, about some of the uh, great men of God and other great men that they had known and uh, how they treated them. And uh, I'm a fan of G.K. Chesterton. He's a British believer. And, uh, but he was lived at the same time a number of uh, very famous atheists lived in Britain. And they would often get together with him and he, they would, you know, try to bait him and everything. But he was always kind to them. And so they always had great appreciation for GKC. In fact, when he died, one of the leading atheists in London literally cried before the audience at the funeral. So that's Daniel. He knows how to tell people that they're in trouble, but to tell them with great feeling of heart, and that's what we want to be. In verse 19, we begin to deal with that. Let's see what more we want here. Okay, uh, let's see. Neil, would you read this 19 down through? Let's go down through. Oh, we're going to need to go a long way, but let's let's go through 24. Oh, no, i got to go further. Yeah. 26, 25, I mean. Let's go down through 25. Then, then Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was appalled uh, for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and says, Belshazzar, do not let the, let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries, the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its, beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which it, it was food for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. As to you, O king, for you 
have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion is the end of the earth. And in that the king saw the angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump for its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods of time have passed over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is a decree of the Most High, which has become on my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beast of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on whomever he wishes, and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. Okay, here we have the sentence proclaimed. And that what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to be seven years that way. Now, this is not an option. He's not saying, if you accept this. God says he's going to do this for seven years, you're going to be a beast. Uh, that picks up what I think, when, what you said, Phyllis Ann, that there are people who will guard, they love their king enough to guard him. And Daniel being first, they kept him, and his strength remained, his royalty remained, even though he was like a beast. I'd love to know what went on. They, some have, have posited they had a lot of parks beautiful parks uh, in Babylon. Babylon's in a desert, but uh, they brought water from the river. They remember it's a branch of the Euphrates River went right under the city of Babylon. And so they watered all of these. And probably it's held that he was, he lived in one of the pastures there with the uh, various kinds of animals. They certainly had cows and probably sheep and so forth. At any rate, while he's there, they, someone took care of him. Now, it goes on and says in verse 22, And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with its root of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. God puts him there so he recognizes who rules. That is so key. You see, God, when God brings difficulties into our life, he's not doing them because he hates us. If you are a follower of Christ, he's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to learn from it. And when you meet people that have learned from that, they are different. They never get over it. That's why Paul, as I mentioned earlier, said Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. He is getting to realize where he was and what he had become because he had become that beast and yet God is going to take care of him and he's going to bring him back uh, and so we see that he's he's had this time to go through this now to come back this was to basically assure in him that he had a understanding of who God was and did he understand he who he was, and that made him a man of great humility. 
Now, that, at this point, you'd say, well, he's already, he's going to come back, and he's, you know, he's been told what will happen. All, all you have to do is tell him, no, I'm a, and he probably said this, Daniel, I'm going to be a humble guy, and I'm going to be the greatest king you've ever seen. You're just going to be so proud of me. But the problem is, he had humbled himself, but he had not trusted in the one that he was humbling himself before. You see, it's not just to humble, say, Lord, I'm, you know, the chief of sinners. You have to say, Lord, I'm trusting you to take care of that position and make me different. And he's about ready to see it. It's his pride. Yeah, it's pride. And he says, but he won't, he says, oh, you know, I, I'm sure he told him that. Uh, but Daniel gives him great advice. He, does. Yes. he just doesn't listen to Daniel's advice. That's right. Oh, no, Daniel told him exactly In what he needed. Verse 27, Daniel's advice is wonderful to yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he says, therefore, O king, may, uh, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor and in case that there may be a prolonging maybe a prolonging of your prosperity. In other words, then God, perhaps he will prolong your prosperity. Well, he may have done that. He still stands up there and goes, look what I did. Oh yeah, he does a lot. But I don't think he confessed his sins. I think oh, that, yes. yeah, that's what, yeah, oh, he's gonna tell. In fact, the key to this is gonna, you're gonna find in just a second. Verse 28. All of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Oops. <laughs> He forgot about humility very quickly. And that's why God lets us get into places where we realize what we really are. And that we are, uh, and that's what he's going to say at the end in his testimony. Oh, we're going to have to stop. Anyway, he's, uh, he, he is there. He says this wonderful thing. And, uh, but notice, notice verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, you know, God, it shows his love for him. He says, I'm going to come back to you. Now, he could turn it down, but he comes back again. And he says, the word comes to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been declared. Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field and you will be given weeds to eat like cattle and seven periods, seven years of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. Great leadership are just a life that is fulfilling and glorifies God requires our humility, trusting completely in him and not on ourselves. You know, this is the third time that is said. If you go back to 17, 
it says that the Most High, you have to learn that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind mm -hmm. and bestows it on whom he wishes. And then if you go to verse uh, 25, it says the same thing, that the right. Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And then down here, I think he's, uh, God is trying to get this across to us. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're right. And he's, as you look at this, you, you notice that people who have experiences many times, they become, as it were, more humble. They tend to be a bit more righteous. They tend to uh, take their experience and make it a model for behavior. But unless that drives, turns a person back to trust in the Lord God, then none of it happens. I mean, we must humble ourselves before him and trust in him to truly let the Spirit of God come into our life if we haven't trusted him and let him turn us toward him and that we, this humility goes on. Uh, I've been... Uh, was noticing there are a lot of new s slogans on television right now about uh, they're they're real interesting they're very uh, moving they are about how to, how to be humble and kind to someone and, and then says this you can learn by being involved in this particular behavior pattern well it's not going to last the only behavior pattern is la that lasts is when we humble ourselves realizing who we are and who God is and we trust in him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he lives his life through us. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was very sincere about doing that, but he, he did not put his faith in the Lord, but he will. And that brings us to the end. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating the grass of the cattle and was drenched with dew, the dew of heaven until his hair and had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Boy, I don't think the uh, barbershop is going to be able to fix that problem, but it's a hard thing. And at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 34, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. God puts us down so that finally we look up to him and our reason comes back to us. That brings us back to again to the main point of this experience Nebuchadnezzar had. Only those who finally turn and trust in God to fill their mind and to direct their hearts will be people who are sane. Insanity, spiritual insanity, God allows to happen. He touches people with it like he did Belshazzar. And it's only when we turn back to him that he gives us the wisdom and the knowledge to live his life and to serve him in a way that lasts. And at the end, of course, he remembers. But in the end of the, that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing again, raises my eye to turn to have, toward heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures 
from, from all the inhabitants of the earth, from generation to generation, and all inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the whole of heaven and along with the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At this time my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of Heaven. For all of his works are true and his way is just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He is in heaven. This guy is in heaven now. And that's what we need. We need humility, walking in humility. My, one of my favorite verses, and I've needed to go to it a lot because many times my life has not been terribly humble, is found by Peter in 1 Peter, found from Peter. Of course, Peter, Peter needs, needs that. He says, he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Notice humility and peace go together. When we humble ourselves before God and trust in him, we not only don't exalt ourselves, we don't fret ourselves. And that is disappear in our fears of what's going to come next. Okay, that, we wanted to get through it. I'm sorry that we had to rush some, but I wanted to get through that because we re have no more of Nebuchadnezzar after this. And, uh, Doesn't Nebuchadnezzar uh, live about another year? He actually lives, he, he actually, we think, the problem we're not sure, because we think this is about the 35th, 30th to 35th year of his reign, and that would leave him with eight years to live at 35. He, he rules till uh, 40, till uh, he rules 43 years total. So, but it's toward the end of his reign, yeah. Interesting thinking about how this changed him is why we don't hear of him and what he did because uh, he wasn't puffing up himself like he did in the first three chapters. Yeah, and, and that's a good point because if you read the Gilgamesh epic or any other ancient writing of the writings of, of rulers going back from Abraham's spirit up to this time, they all tell you how wonderful they are. Uh, just the last word and everything. But he doesn't, and we hear no more about him. What we will hear is the end. He has a uh, grandson who is Belshazzar, who is going to rule, and that is in chapter 5. And we're going to take you to a banquet. And boy, it is some place. It's, it, and it's just like we have today. We, uh, when we lived in Dallas, we had friends who had boxes that went to our churches for the football games. And these are up there where you're, you, you sit in this box and look down and they bring you food all this ridiculous stuff, and you're there. Well, that's exactly what we have, a banquet that had boxes. The everyday people, 
of the kingdom are down on the floor uh, and uh, sitting at tables, I guess, but up in the high levels, they had these indentions, these boxes, where all of the rulers stayed. And we're going to meet one of them next week. And we'll find out how Babylon ceases to exist. <laughs>